0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info.
1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Greg Bluestein from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, filling in today for Bill Nygut. Thanks for joining us. A reminder that you can log on to the GPP News Facebook page right now and not only hear us, but you get to see us too. We'll monitor your comments there, and you can also comment on our Twitter page, PoliticsGPB. Let's meet today's guest. Kevin Riley is the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and also my boss. How's it going, Kevin? I
2: don't get this arrangement. I'm the boss, but you're in charge of this show. I don't, I don't know about this, I Greg. like this. It's could, good to be here, though.
1: I could get used to this. Uh, <laughs> State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver is a Democrat from the 82nd District representing Decatur and DeKalb County. She just got back from a trip to Colorado. It was fun. Yeah, I'm jealous. Um, although I've been off for the last two weeks or so, so I can't be too jealous. And making his debut appearance... On Political Rewind is State Senator P.K. Martin, representing the ninth District, which is Lawrenceville and parts of Gwinnett County. Thanks for joining us.
3: Yeah, th- thanks for having me. Appreciate this is
1: your, your freshman appearance. Um, so let's start, let's get right to it. Let's start with the fundraising numbers in the state's mostly, most closely watched race, which is the Senate race. David Perdue came out a couple days ago and said um, he raised about $2 million over the last three months. He now has nearly $5 million in the bank. Meanwhile, the lone Democrat who has announced so far, Teresa Tomlinson, had about $500,000 in fundraising. That's nothing to sneeze at, but it pales in comparison to the other bigger hauls from Democrats in other competitive states who have raised seven figures so far. So I'll start with you, Representative Oliver. Should, should Democrats be worried?
0: No. Teresa Tomlinson is a fabulous candidate. She started late because of the Stacey Abrams timetable. We, she... Uh, Theresa Tomlinson, Mayor Tomlinson, and I were all waiting on Stacey Abrams' decision. That pushed her back to start late. The fact that David Perdue has more money is is a given. The Republicans have infinite amount of money. They don't even have to ask for it. It just pours in. The people who are given the one top one percent corporations that were given enormous tax breaks are going to fund David Perdue. Nothing surprising at all. I'm the person who ran a statewide campaign and had the experience of calling 5,000 people asking for money. And raising a half a million dollars in two months is not a small feat. Uh, Georgia will be competitive, it is competitive. And Teresa Tomlinson is having uh, what I consider a very acceptable, even admirable start.
1: Now she said she has to raise $22 million. She said that multiple times on the record that that's that's the that's the threshold she needs to reach, if not exceed. That's a lot.
0: More money is spent on every campaign. Uh, Citizens United was a big mistake. Uh, United States Supreme Court case that has uh, taken many of the curbs off uh, fundraising. It goes up every year. It's a problem in our democracy, a significant problem in our democracy, and we all have to compete in a system where the moneyed folks are going to give money to the people that give them money back.
1: So Senator Martin, I mean, you're looking at Purdue, a first-term senator who says this will be, if he wins the second term, it will be his last term. He's got uh, close alliances with President Trump, with Governor Kemp, with a lot of the Republican power structure, but at the same time, You've seen the sort of creeping Democratic votes going from forty-five to forty-eight percent. Trump won the state by five points, which is a lot more narrow margin than than Republicans in, in the past decade or so. Um, is he in the catbird seat, or does he have something to worry about?
3: I would say that he is still the favorite going into the race in twenty twenty. Um, however, I don't think as Republicans we can can take one one report and, and 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 lose that sense of urgency. And I don't think that his campaign will lose that sense of urgency. Um, I do think that, that Teresa Tomlinson possibly has something to worry about. I know that other other candidates, uh, Democratic candidates in Republican states, have raised more than she was able to raise. Uh, so you might see some, uh, some other folks from the Democratic side. I would let Representative Oliver, Oliver uh, delve into that. She probably has more knowledge, but I think you may have other, other candidates get into that race. Um, but, yeah, no, I, th- I think he still has to continue to work, and I think at every level uh, of politics, Republicans have to continue to work.
2: you think there's any chance, either one of you, that Georgia ends up – the Democrats can't, just can't get there and the Republicans put all the money elsewhere where they have a better chance?
0: These decisions are made week by week. Uh, in the last six months of a campaign. I remember friends of mine that ran for senator who were promised certain kind of federal support that all of a sudden didn't come through. Uh, Those are decisions that we can't speculate about right now. I think we're in a new political era. Uh, Trump is not the normal. Uh, We are all dependent, success or failure, to some extent, on the presidential race of 2020. But Georgia is an important state in so many different ways economically, and the voters of Georgia, I think, are obviously trending to a much more equal state and are much more of a moderate state concerned about Georgia issues, not concerned about the, the drama and the unnecessary conflict that's created nationally, which David Perdue is a part of unnecessary conflict created nationally.
2: So from both the Republican and Democratic perspective, I'll start first with our Republican guest. If you get several more Democrats in the race and it gets pretty rough and tumble, good or bad for David Perdue? And I'm going to ask Representative Oliver the same thing, to answer the same question.
3: I mean, I think on the surface it, it appears to be good if, if you have more, more people fighting, fighting for that seat. They're going to have to spend money. They're going to have to spend resources to win the nomination. But, um, again, it is, as Representative Oliver said, it's very early in the process. There's going to be millions, if not tens of millions of dollars that eventually go into this race, I believe. Um, I think that, you know, when you look at the governor's race uh, last year, Um, that you're going to see those outside influences start to put money in, whether it's from California or New York or other places, uh, to continue to try to put their values in Georgia. And, um, you know, I don't think that worked well last year. And I think that people in Georgia... Um do have reservations when, when we have people from out of state trying to put their values and insert their values into Georgia. It was the most
1: expensive gubernatorial race in Georgia history and the Senate race next year will probably be the most expensive Senate race in state history too. But Representative Oliver, is it good for Democrats to have a lot of candidates like we think there will be?
0: There's no doubt that there will be more money spent on politics in 2020 than in any other year. That simply is a trend that is not gonna stop. The fact that we have such an energized presidential collection of candidates means there will be more Democratic fundraising for each of them. Everybody has their favorite. I'm giving to multiple candidates at this point because I'm kind of excited about the talent that's out there. Uh, It is unknowable territory. Every day is a new surprise of unknowability and lack of normalcy. I predict that there will be more money spent in 2020. I predict that energy coming from both possible senatorial campaigns in Georgia and assuredly presidential campaigns in Georgia is going to produce more money, more energy, more engagement, all of which is good.
1: So Kevin, as the editor of the AJC, let me ask you this. Do we journalists make too much, uh, too big a deal out of of fundraising money and and, and these figures? I know that it's early in the race and there's not much of a gauge out there of how these candidates do it. So that's why we do seize on these numbers. But do we make, do we elevate them too much?
2: Well, I I do think that it's fair to say that it's very early, right, And, and it's a little bit hard to predict where this is going to go. But, I mean, the reality is, um, I think we have a job to keep track of this money, and uh, we don't really decide if it's important or not. I mean, uh, the candidates in public do. And then also, I mean, it is a measure of how seriously these folks are being taken out there, right? I mean, if you can't raise any money, there must be important people who believe you can't win, right? So, uh, I think we don't have much choice but to uh, report on them. But I think uh, it's always good, as uh, I think our guests are (laughs) pointing out here, Greg, that we might not get too excited that election is a long way off.
1: So it's clear, though, what we know from the figures is that... Sometimes a big, huge haul will scare away other rivals. You signal that, you know, you can raise a, a ton of money and, and other people don't want to run. This is not going to do that, right? Um, a $500,000 haul over, th- over a couple of months is not going to scare away anyone. And we know Sarah Riggs-Amico, who was the runner-up for lieutenant governor last year, is likely to announce soon. John Ossoff is still debating a run. And we've heard recently that Clarkston Mayor Ted Terry is very interested in the race, which could, which could add another interesting element to the race. Representative, or do you think there's there's a legit opening for multiple more candidates to jump in?
0: People run for what they want to run for, and it's based on a, a gauge of I could win this, and it's a gauge of can I raise money and can I compete. Uh, I think the energy is different. In this go round, than it was prior to the presidential election of 2016, I think the ground game is different. I think both Obama and Trump, in different ways, redefine the ground game, redefine the fundraising. We're in new territory. Uh, we have a, a energized Democratic base that's desperate for change. Senator Martin, let me
1: ask you this: Do Stacey Abrams, Sally, Sally Yates, are both? passed on a race. Do any of those other names that I mentioned who are potential candidates, do any of them scare Republicans?
3: I, I, don't, I don't know the answer. I mean, you look at, you mentioned John Ossoff. He was a complete unknown before he got into the six and he gave Karen Handel a run for her money uh, in that special election. So um, I think that people can can rise to prominence very quickly in today's age of social media. So again, to to, to try to you know, since, as I said earlier, our sense of urgency, if we place that on just a candidate, I think we'll be making as Republicans huge mistake. Uh, we have to continue to work hard every single day. Uh, there are other races that are going on, too, when you look at the sixth mm-hmm. and the seventh, that um, Republicans believe the sixth to still be in play, and um, of course, Democrats think that the seventh isn't in play, and I think they both probably are. So there are going to be a lot of elections at every level of state government that are going to be up for grabs, and, and there has to be a lot of energy. Um, statewide. Oh, and
1: trust me, because you're here, we're going to drill down into the seventh a lot more <laughs> later. Um, but I want to ask you one follow-up too. Do you do you think Purdue is legitimately vulnerable? No, no Republicans lost the statewide race since I think 2006 in Georgia.
3: I, I believe that. I believe that he will win. I, you know, but again, if you just sit back and take your foot off the gas pedal, yeah, I think you could be vulnerable. Um, you can't do it just by going through the motions. You have to get out there and do the work and uh, and talk to people and 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 make sure you're getting out in front of people and and convincing them that you're that right candidate to I mean, continue really to move com- us forward
2: doesn't it really come down to something simple at least with david purdue which is he's completely hitched his wagon to president trump so if president trump comes through this election and can win georgia you have to believe that david purdue would and if the democrats mount a serious challenge to trump in the state and 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 somehow democrats win georgia then probably purdue you could say he could lose. Sorry.
0: It's predictable this far out that you assume the incumbent Republican senator is a, has a, uh, a favorable position. It's predictable this far out to assume that he's going to have more money than can be printed in Washington. All of, but the reality is, is that Trump is terribly important as to what's happening. What atrocity is going to happen next? What is going to happen that's going to impact really Georgia? What do we care about in Georgia? And what are the citizens of Georgia who are more moderate and more engaged and more ready for some change, what do they really want on the things that we cannot predict right now? Senator? Yeah,
3: well, I mean, I think when you look at that, I think that puts Purdue in, in, at an advantage because I do think that Georgians are optimistic about the future. I know there was a poll uh, that I heard about um, driving in to work today that, that said 90% of Atlantans believe that Atlanta will continue to move forward in a positive way. They believe the economy is going to continue to grow and that the jobs are going to continue to grow, and it's a great place to raise a family. Um, and with people with that much of a bright outlook on what's going on in Georgia, I think it's going to have a, you're going to have a hard time convincing them to make that change.
0: Those of us that live in Gwinnett and DeKalb might not have noticed the rising suicide rate of farmers in Georgia. Farmers in Georgia are very dangerous territory. What is our number one industry in Georgia? It's not the tourist industry of the Georgia World Congress Center and the growth of Gwinnett. The number one industry in Georgia is agriculture. What is the President of the United States doing to our farmers? And as Senate, as uh, Agricultural Commissioner Purdue said, he, as he told the President, they can't live on patriotism alone, even Even Agricultural Commissioner Perdue said that. I'm concerned about the overall agricultural economy of Georgia. I'm concerned about the growth and the unrepresented people of Georgia, and I am positively reflecting on a new political engagement. I'm very happy for David Perdue to think that he has it wrapped up and that he doesn't, as he doesn't now, meet with constituents. He doesn't now do town halls. He doesn't now uh, address the... Many, if most, of the citizens of Georgia in any direct way. He sticks to the narrow lane of the Trump base. I'm happy for him to continue to do all that.
1: Uh, and you mentioned earlier, too, as goes. Trump, so goes Purdue. Odds are in Georgia, they're hitched, they're hitched together. And, 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 Tr- and Senator Purdue makes no illusions about that. He is very tightly bound to, to President Trump. And what's the wild card in this, this year, though, is that Democrats will seem like they will seriously contest the state. We've already had more than a dozen visits from the 20, 23 or so candidates <laughs> out there. Um, and they say they're going to start staffing up and spending real, real money in Georgia. Does that change the equation in 2020?
3: I mean, I think in 2018, you saw. A, a huge amount of money spent in Georgia, um, it's not going to be new to 2020 to 2018. I mean, there was a massive ground game. So I think that, um, that they have to if they want to win Georgia. Um, and Republicans have to do the same thing. They have to make sure that we have to make sure we're staffing up, make sure that we have our ground game ready to go. Um, and we should be starting now to make sure that we're we are not taking it for granted, because we cannot take things for but, granted.
2: But w- one of the questions I always have about this is when we talk about money and, the, and how it's spent, it used to always be about television advertising. And I think we're starting to see that, A, it's moving away from that. You know, you, both of you have mentioned ground game. And the second thing about that, that means it needs to not only be spent in different ways, but it, often earlier than it's typical.
1: And preferably on newspaper ads.
0: Sonny Perdue (laughs) beating uh, Roy Barnes on that very surprising election, I think, changed the definition. Changed the. Anybody that tells you it's all about television is not telling you the truth. Sonny Perdue spent five, six million dollars. Roy Barnes spent 20 to 40 million dollars, depending on whose pot you count. Uh, That showed you that the absence of a ground game has changed. Clearly, Obama's. Fundraising, social mobility, social media—kind of a campaign changed the game. Every and Trump now has changed the game based on the daily uh, drama. Let me just say that drama, drama—not use a harsher word. Uh, I don't think that anything's knowable. What is going to happen in the next uh, sixteen months is—is is to me, who's been. Involved in politics a long time is simply not predictable, but there is an engagement on the ground. There is an engagement nationally focused on Georgia. Georgia is a swing state, and I hope David Perdue takes it for granted.
1: Let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk about. We have an interesting new poll from the from the um, Re- National Republican Congressional Committee. So you have got to take it with a grain of salt. So let's keep that in mind. But it the finding that leapt out to me was that 60 percent of voters in the sixth district oppose impeaching trump and 56 percent of those are independents i don't think lucy mcbath's uh the incumbent democratic representative there i don't think she necessarily disagrees with that i I ran those numbers by her campaign and and they essentially said they haven't polled that but it it makes sense They, they they're seeing similar trends out there which explains why she has not joined the movement to call for president trump's impeachment but instead has called for more investigations you're in a swingy district senator martin um do you, Do you think that that the topic of impeachment can is trouble for Democrats in those competitive areas like in the like in the metro Atlanta suburbs
3: I, I think it I think it speaks very well to the the far left more liberal areas of our state. I think those people that truly hate President Trump no matter what he does, they want him gone any means necessary and I think it speaks to that group. I think when you move to the more moderate districts, I think people see it more of as a uh, political stunt more so than as a, a real way to get him out of office. Uh, and I think that they'll see that they'll see their tax dollars being spent on that and on the proceedings of impeachment. And I think that would spell trouble. You see it with, with Nancy Pelosi, um, trying to push off these these pushes for impeachment. I think she understands it, too. And I do think it does hurt. It would hurt Democrats in some of these swing states if they move forward.
1: Representative, on that note, are you are you hearing from Democrats in your district and elsewhere that that uh, frustration that more Democrats in the House have not jumped on embraced this issue?
0: I'm not hearing that. Uh, I'm hearing that President Trump needs to be defeated. And uh, my energy and the folks I talk to are focused on defeating him, the people of the United States of America defeating him, even you know beyond the three million people more than voted, voted against him last time, uh, that he needs to be defeated. The impeachment is a political, process that is going to be problematical for both Democrats and Republicans if it continues to be a totally partisan issue. Uh, I remember Watergate. It was not a partisan issue. It was a bipartisan effort. And as Nancy Pelosi, I think, smartly has and intuitively and with real leadership has said, uh, if we don't have a bipartisan discussion and leadership on impeachment. It's probably not the time yet. Kevin, do you see any chance of any sort of bipartisan movement towards
1: a, a legit dis- discussion about impeachment?
2: I think that the chances of it are virtually zero. Um, and I think Nancy Pelosi is a pragmatist, which she knows no matter what the House were to do, the Senate is not going to vote to to imp- to. Uh, Remove the president, and then the argument that well, if we start impeachment proceedings, that will um, make it easier to gather uh, you know investigatory evidence that may or may not you know we would whether or not we would file charges against the president. But I think in the public's mind, that all sounds like the same thing, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like partisan stuff. And then I, it's just timing of the election. I mean, the campaign's basically started, so everything will be cast as partisan, even if if there were a sea change in the Congress, which there isn't going to be, in, in terms of how people see things. I just I just think we're at a spot where the Speaker knows what will work and what doesn't.
0: And no offense to Mr. Bluestein, but my favorite AJC employee is Michael Lukovic. No offense, gentlemen. Or Kevin. Or Kevin. And <laughs> Mr. Lakovich's cartoon yesterday of the attorney general giving a thumbs up to the president of the United States shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue and saying, it's OK, go ahead and shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. Uh, you can do anything you want to. That sentiment, as long as that's held by the Republican base or the Republican leadership, either way is highly dangerous. I don't think that fair-minded people of the United States, and particularly fair-minded people in Georgia, are going to tolerate every single bad act that President Trump carries forward. Senator, do you hear about this in, in your district? Is this something that's on the tip of the tongues of a lot of your constituents?
3: You're still stalking impeachment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Yeah, not, not really. Um, I mean, you still... You, you see it in social media from time to time. You see some people that are very passionate um, who believe it's the right move. Um, again, as Kevin said, I mean, it's... it's The reality is that it's not going to pass in the Senate in the current situation. And um, so I think people are going to see it as politicians in D.C. continuing to talk, continuing to be very political, hyper-political, and not solving problems that the U.S. faces and not solving problems that Georgia faces. And they're going to look on that probably as highly unfavorable.
1: We're about to hear a lot more about it next week when Robert Mueller testifies to two different um, House committees uh, about his findings and his reports. Same day. So get ready. Well, let's get our first break out of the way real quick. Coming up, we're going to talk about Senator Martin's backyard of Gwinnett County and a debate about open records in the General Assembly. You're listening to Political Rewind on GPB. We're back in one minute.
3: Hey, this is David Green, host of Morning Edition. I'm here to talk with you about that poking feeling, the one that keeps reminding you to support public radio. You can support the programs you love by donating your used vehicle. That old car or truck could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station. All you have to do is call, and you might even receive a tax deduction.
2: Go to gpb.org cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR and thanks.
0: On the next Fresh Air, which party is in power in the next decade in Congress and state houses could be determined by last month's Supreme Court decisions on gerrymandering and the census citizenship question, and by what the Trump administration does next about the census. We'll talk about why with Ari Berman, who covers voting rights for Mother Jones. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at three right here on GPB and gpbnews.org. Join us, won't you?
1: Welcome back to Political Rewind. I'm Greg Bluestein from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, filling in today for Bill Nigat, who is earning a a well-deserved vacation. We're joined today by the AJC's Kevin Riley, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver of Decatur, and State Senator P.K. Martin of Lawrenceville. And we're going to start with you, Senator. Um, You're right in the middle of a political whirlwind. Your home county of Gwinnett was once a a Republican stronghold until Clinton won it in 2016, and Stacey Abrams even outdid that in, in last year's election. What are Republicans doing to try to reverse that trend?
3: I, so first things first, I mean, Gwinnett's an amazing place to live. I'm not surprised by the amount of people coming to Gwinnett County. It continues We continue to see amazing growth. Uh, it's a great place. The cost of living is still very low, great services, uh, fantastic schools. So uh, I am not surprised to continue to see the population growth uh, that's coming to Gwinnett County. Now, it continues to be more bring more and more diversity to the county. And I think um, you've seen some of that change even in the, in the Gwinnett Republican Party uh, with their board. Uh, when I go to um, the breakfasts on the weekends, um, it's a, it, it looks different than it did when I first began uh, going to those, attending those breakfasts. Um, the board is very diverse. Uh, the members, the people who are taking part in the uh, activities uh, are very diverse as well. And I think that is a reflection of, of Gwinnett County. Um, as far as what we're doing on the ground, as far as what I personally try to do, um, when I was elected, I ran uh, to, to, to win over the trust, to earn the trust of the people of District 9, uh, and I continue to do that. And, and I think that that is something that's, that goes, um, whether it's different races, different religions, um, people want somebody that, that believes in them. And I want to continue to believe in the people that live in our district. Uh, and when they, when they feel that, when they understand that, that they have somebody that's there listening to them, fighting for them, and trying to make the best decisions for Gwinnett County, um, I think they will continue to listen uh, to what we have to offer in the Republican Party. And we have to get better at communicating that. I
1: mean, we've heard that over the years from both parties when they say when Democrats talk about making inroads into conservative territory and and, and, and Republicans talk about making inroads into a more competitive or liberal territory. But but what when you have votes like this past session, which was very contentious, and I know that a lot of the headlines – there was a lot of there was a lot of bipartisanship when it came to budgets and and, and bills like the rape kit bill but of course the standout measure was the it was the heartbeat bill the anti-abortion restrictions when you have votes like that that dominate the the political discourse um, and it's so clearly divide the electorate on one way or another. I have no idea how your district, if you polled your district, how they'd fare. But how do you um, reach out to the voters who are so angry at you for voting for that measure, um, who might have been sort of down the middle, who might have been in the middle of the road, but are now, um, you know, sort of alienated by that that effort?
3: Anytime we we take up abortion, it's going to be polarizing. It's an issue that um, is so difficult because people are passionate on both sides. Whether you're passionate for life, or whether you're passionate for, for abortion, um, and it's not an issue where you're ever going to convince. It's very difficult to convince the other side to change uh, where they are. So, um, you know, as someone who is pro-life, as someone who, who believes we should stand for the unborn, uh, it, it's something that um, you know I had to do. I knew I knew that my vote would would po- could possibly alienate folks. Uh, I think what we have to do, uh, as Republicans, is continue to say, "Hey, um, yes, we do have key disagreements on certain issues, and that's not going to change. But uh, we still are working for you and trying to, to, to represent you for your interest in Gwinnett County." Um, you know, when you look, you go back to, you know, how do you make those inroads with with minority, um, with minorities for uh, from the Republican Party? I said years ago that we have to stop just trying to reach out to people of different cultures and different races. We have to give them a seat at the table within the party. And you've seen the Gwinnett Republican Party do that when you look at their board and you see African Americans, you see Asians, you see Indians who are actively taking part in the process now of the party. And I think that they will be much more effective at at reaching out and and explaining uh, what it means to be a Republican and and, and to, to fight for more individual liberty.
1: Representative Oliver is—is is Gwinnett Democratic territory now? Is it safe to say D- 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 Gwinnett County has has flipped and is cemented now uh, on on the blue side of the of ledger?
0: Just as I certainly, if he asked my advice, would not advise uh, Senator Purdue to take anything for granted. I don't take anything for granted in Gwinnett County. It's a fast-moving population of very successful immigrant populations. Very successful business, P.K. Pack, a uh, friend of mine. I BJ, mean, BJ. Forgive me. Uh, I'm thinking of you. <laughs> uh, U.S. Attorney Pack is uh, the, the the quality, the uh, contributions, the advantages that we as a society have based on successful immigrant populations in Gwinnett County is illustrative of why uh, David Perdue should not take things for granted. I mean, you cannot insult people, miming the president of the United States, insult groups of people in a regular manner in all the language that he uses and that not have an impact. For instance, a friend of mine who does a lot of immigration work says there are 27,000 new citizens that are going to take their oath of citizenship in Georgia. They're pending right now. At least 27,000 new voters will come to the table before 2020 from the people legally pursuing citizenship from a successful transition they've made. How many of those people would vote for David Perdue or President Trump, given the daily insults that we hear from him?
1: Kevin, you've had a front row seat uh, to the political change since you arrived in Atlanta at the AJC about a, a decade ago. What struck you most about the shift in politics in the suburbs?
2: I I do think that, um, uh, to to echo Representative Oliver's comments, where nothing can be assumed. You know, if you want to go up to the 6th District and drive around Roswell and East Cobb, you would assume, oh, we got, this is Country Club Republican territory, right? And then you look at what's starting to happen in elections, I think that strikes me about it, and also how the lines between what it means to be Republican and what it means to be Democrat are blurring. It used to be people fit neatly into camps. And I think that the challenge for uh, all politicians and in part for the media, as we cover it, is to realize that people, first of all, they don't fit neatly. And second of all, they don't want to. People don't like to, for you to make all kinds of assumptions about them based on their address, based on their race, based on their gender. And to me, that becomes really critically important.
1: I'm curious, Representative Oliver, do you see those lines blurring? Do you see, the, you know, a kind of mushy middle there?
0: Well, we know that we have a more partisan climate among those elected. But the voters themselves care about what they choose to care about. And quality of life issues like environment, where they Republicans are being hurt on environmental issues. There used to be Republicans that stood up for the rivers and the air. Mike Egan, for instance. Uh, Those kind of issues that people choose to care about education are less partisan than the national public debate. So I think there is an openness, particularly among younger people, who don't have a long history of voting, to really be thoughtful about what I like about this party and what I like about that the other party. That's not being helped in the Republican language that is so harsh and so uh, unattractive. Saturday, you look like you want to respond.
3: Well, I, you know, I, I think that it is, um, you talk about no one wants to be pigeonholed. I, I agree with that. I You know, personally, I tend to be someone who likes to um, stand up for environmental issues Uh, It's, um, if we can do something, um, to, to help make our, make our planet a a cleaner place, then we should do it. Absolutely. We should do it. Um, when you look at other, um, other things across the board, uh, you know, there are a lot of issues that we can come together around. And I think one of those things in Gwinnett County is education. I think it's incredibly important to people that are moving to Gwinnett. Uh, they have, um, I would say not arguably the number one school district, uh, in the state, but I would get a lot of trouble with, um. Uh, city with, of, Decatur. with the city of Decatur and, <laughs> and and Cobb County and some of my other matter of fact, I'll probably get some text messages here shortly. But um, but they are award winning. Um, they've won the Broad Prize two different times, um, and and I think that's very important to a lot of people. I think that Republicans and Democrats both see how important that is. Um, that's one. I mean, that's one reason why I was very excited to be able to take on the the chairman of education. I think that's something that speaks to Gwinnett County. It's something that's so important, and it's something that people of all around Gwinnett County care about they want their children to have access to a quality uh, quality education and, and that's something that we have to do that and Republicans have been we've been focused on that in the last legislative session
2: well Greg as you know too I mean one of our uh, one of the favorite things my favorite things we do at the newspaper is we do a poll before each legislative session and then uh, and what we find out is what citizens of Georgia are most interested in most care most about what they'd like to see the legislature solve and then we watch a legislature in action, <laughs> and we find that uh, two things happen. First, the, the things people care most about seem to find the backseat, uh, if any, any spot at all. And then people run right to the most divisive issues uh, to make political hay. Um, and I actually think that if it plays out that this abortion bill... Uh, changes some politics in Georgia. That's what I think the lesson will be, is that, um, gosh, what people really wanted you to do is pay attention to education and transportation and some of these other, the environment, and some of these other things that really affect their everyday lives, and they'd let, let Roe v. Wade and that whole thing be figured out uh, at the national level and let people spend time there.
0: The United States Supreme Court case on Roe v. Wade was a constitutional principle of privacy. It wasn't about choice. It wasn't about pro-life. It was privacy, the constitutional principle. We have had in Georgia uh, an acceptable truce because both sides of the debate have things that are correct and right and meaningful and faith-based in in many cases. Uh, An acceptable truce was the appropriate political reality that we should have maintained. The fact that we have now terrorized our medical community, particularly the OBGYN community in terms of the fact that we have young women uh, are suddenly aware that their rights of privacy, of their own medical life are being taken away. I think that really could be a game a game changer in 2020. Let me ask
1: you about that, Senator Martin. We can't talk about Gwinnett without the 7th District, which was the uh, the, home, uh, the the home district held now by Rob Woodall, who's retiring a Republican representative, who won it by the most narrow margin of any House race in the nation by a few hundred votes over Carolyn Bordeaux. She's running again, as is, I don't know, about a dozen other people. You're one of the only Republicans who may not <laughs> in Gwinnett who aren't running for that race. Um, but do you think the heartbeat bill is going to dominate discourse and discussion over the 7th District race, especially Especially because Senator Unnerman, one of the sponsors of the bill, Renee Unnerman of Gwinnett, is one of the candidates for that race.
3: I, I mean, I do believe that, that she is going to, to be to be proud of the bill. She was the Senate sponsor of that bill. I think she's going to tout it. She's going to talk about it, um, that, that we did stand up uh, for, the, for, the, for that young life that can't defend itself. Um, and But it, there's going to be a number of issues. When you talk about, you know, why didn't we focus on some of these other issues? Well, we did. We did give teachers a three thousand dollar raise. We did say we're going to focus on computer science education in Georgia because we are a center of fintech, we're a center of technology. Um, we did say, hey, we have to begin looking more deeply at the at our literacy rates in third grade by making sure we're giving children who have characteristics of characteristics of dyslexia uh, the intervention uh, that they need, and we have to start focusing on who these children are so that they can unlock their potential for the future. Um, a few years ago, we've invested heavily in, um, in infrastructure in transportation, and we're going to continue to do that. So, um, you know, we, yes, that is a huge bill that went through that was passed and it was signed into law, um, but that wasn't the only thing we've done, um, and I'm going to continue to talk about all the success we're having in Georgia um, because we are moving in, a right, in the right direction when it comes to, to so many good things. There's a reason people continue to move to Georgia. It's because we're doing a lot of things right. You I mean- simply
0: cannot dispute that the fact that 55% of the voters in Georgia in 2018 were women, 55%. I've had some very very smart people tell me that if you could up that percentage to 56% or maybe even 57% that may come from the energy of bills like the abortion ban bill, then the Republicans are in real trouble. Uh, when you uh, take... Uh, Roe v Wade, an acceptable truce, the law of the land, and try to ban abortion, that wakes people up. They care about schools, they care about rivers, they care about the air, but you have just energized again a segment of the population that has a new important reason to go vote against the Republican leadership. That's the
1: point I want to ask you about. Did did the abortion debate overshadow all the other things? You know, you mentioned the $3,000 pay raise and, and Governor Kemp came in with a $5,000 ultimate goal. I, I assume that next year will be the year you push for the, the other $2,000. Um, but, but a lot of that, we're, of course, we're covering it in the AJC and other outlets are covering it. But the number one story we've written about from this session has been the, the abortion restrictions.
3: I mean, it it's going to any any time you deal with abortion it's big it's been an issue all 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 around the southeast um it is a big story um you know i hear people saying it's an abortion ban well it's not an abortion ban um there there is a lot of latitude uh, for women who 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 are facing health issues it's not actually uh, honest
0: to say it's not an abortion ban
3: excuse me um uh, th- they have the ability to work with their doctors if they if they if there's a problem with their health um, if there is uh, an issue with the pregnancy, with the child um, being you know, medically unable to make it, uh, they still, I, I can't imagine going through that. I have two children. I have one, one daughter and one son. I can't imagine having to go through that um, discussion with my, with my doctor. Um, and that was brought forward during the debate, and we made sure that that was covered under the bill. Um, and then, of course, in instances of rape and incest, when the woman did not have a choice, uh, in, in, in the conception of that child, we still give leeway to the woman in those, in those situations. Um, I believe when you look at the left and you look at things that are going on in Virginia, in, um, in California, in New York, uh, in these more left-leaning states and the, the radicalness of taking abortion up to and past uh, birth, um, I think that is equally as atrocious to voters as well. And I think that is one of the debates that will be there. Um, people are passionate on the issue. I said that earlier when I first talked about it. Um, it is difficult when you're trying to talk to someone who's a friend um, and they're on the opposite issue, you know that you're never going to convince them. They have their beliefs and I have mine. And, um, and you, you know, it's something that we have to try to continue to work through when you're reaching out to voters and, and, and continue to have that discussion.
1: Representative Oliver, we'll give you the last word on this part, but Democrats are trying to take back the House. They've got about fifteen seats to win. We know that if they do, they'll they'll try to repeal the, the, the heartbeat measure. Um, but to speaking to Senator Martin's point, would would Democrats try to go beyond and and, and make it uh, let's say easier to, to access abortion?
0: No. I don't believe so. There's one state in the country that allows third trimester abortions that are in the context of very medical uh, catastrophe issues. That That's a false claim, in my opinion. What happened legislatively uh, about how a third trimester happens with a non-viable uh, fetus or baby is a complicated medical issue that we can't get into. Georgia is of the top most populated states, the top ten most populated states, has the highest rate of child poverty of any of those top ten. All of the issues we talk about relate to the extreme poverty that 25 percent of Georgia's children live in. Those are the, that's the issue. That's the tough issue that is being hidden and not addressed in all of these debates.
1: Let's get our last break out of the way. Coming up, we're going to talk about a major open records issue um, under the Georgia Gold Dome. You're listening to Political Rewind on GPB. We're back in one minute.
2: Now is the perfect time to clean out the garage and get rid of that car you no longer need. You'll face the coming months with a fresh start, and by donating your used car to GPB, you'll even get a tax deduction. Call 877 gpb one car or donate securely online at gpb.org cars, and thanks. Hackers have used ransomware to attack the data networks of cities across the country. Their payment request was for 42 bitcoins. At the time of the purchase, it was roughly $460,000. Now those cities have a dilemma, whether or not to give in to extortion. I'm Ari Shapiro. That Story This Afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
0: Join us for All Things Considered this afternoon from 4 to 7 right here on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. Or ask your smart speaker to play GPB.
1: Welcome back from back to political rewind. I'm Greg Bluestein from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, filling in today for Bill Naga. We're we're joined today by the AJC's Kevin Riley, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver of Decatur, and State Senator P.K. Martin of Lawrenceville for his debut performance. Uh, so let's talk about this interesting story that my colleague James Salzer wrote about the other day in the AJC. Um, he wrote about open records in the legislature, and Kevin, we can walk through this, but um, right now, sunshine laws give the public access to records and documents from executive branch offices, the governor's office, agencies, state agencies, that kind of thing. But the legislature exempted itself from the rule, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things that a lot of citizens might not, might not realize, and I always make uh, uh, one important point before I talk about public records generally, and it's this. Often these, these discussions, and if they're disputes, they're cast as the media versus the government on public records. But what's important to know is the media has no greater access to any public record than an average citizen has. We, we often do things on behalf of citizens, or if they, we get into expensive uh, legal battles, we can afford to do that maybe more than a, a single person could. But uh, Georgia, and, and I don't think Georgia's history is very different than many other states, the legislature passes these laws but keeps themselves mostly not uh, co- 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 uh, covered under the law. Mm. And we have a couple of state legislators here, and I'm sure they're, <laughs> they have some excellent reasons for that that they'll let us know about.
1: Representative Oliver, go for it. Like, why, why should the, uh, the legislature be treated differently? Let's say uh, a commissioner
0: of the Department of Community Health or, or Governor Kemp. I'm not sure that we should be treated differently. And if a bill came before me on the Judiciary Committee where a lot of the open records that opened up, open records to Georgia General Assembly members, House and Senate, I'd vote for it. Uh, I don't think politically it would be good for me to vote against it. But let's talk about the reality of what it would entail uh, voting for it and allowing that. Compromise is a very difficult concept and reality in politics. It's less uh, likely, it's less favorable, it's less likely to happen in today's partisan world uh, than it has in the past. Compromise is a necessity of political governance. If you take away Any opportunity for a a lot of frank discussions about compromise, negotiation, in every case, you will further weaken the opportunity for compromise. I'll vote for opening it up, but I'm telling you there are consequences. And the other consequence is that all of us make little or big mistakes in our social media lives. In our email lives, I teach occasionally, I ask to teach an uh, ethics course at law schools. And I spend almost half my time in those courses talking about emails and social media. And the way the, the bar association and the courts are, are looking at the stupid things that people can say, particularly if they're at a party or had had something to drink or just made a stupid mistake. They can be career-ending That email sent at 10 o'clock in anger can be a career-ending, and we see that in the newspaper every single day. The public doesn't seem forgiving of those mistakes, and maybe they shouldn't be forgiving of those mistakes. Opening up every single communication by a political person Uh, in the role of politician has some downside
1: and senator one of the reasons i've heard about the exemption from from supporters who who do want want the legislature to remain excluded from the sunshine laws is that constituent emails constituent letters about personal problems that 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 your 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 residents in your areas have um they don't want that to be accessed by the public but through the open records act but there's a way to kind of write around that i mean you can you can exclude some of those sensitive emails where do you stand on the issue
3: Well, and I wasn't here when the original law went into effect. I'm not sure if Representative Oliver was, but um, and and I can't speak to the reasoning behind it. I think I think you're exactly right. When you're dealing with a constituent in a very difficult situation, sometimes dealing with intimate issues, um, I mean, yeah, you do not want that opened up to the public. You don't want that, especially in today's social media world where something can go viral. and I think we have to be careful. And I'm open into having discussions on this issue and seeing what we can do better. Um, when I was on the city council, I was in city government. Um, we were obviously subject to that. Um, and, and we went through some open records requests where you have to present documents, you have to do things. Um, it's, it's expensive. It requires a, large, a good amount of staff. In the legislature currently, our staff size is not... Um, very large. I think we run a very lean legislative branch when it comes to staff. I think we would have to obviously change the way that we operate um, in order to um, to see something. But that you know, if we want to have that discussion, I'm open to it. In the Senate, we have become more transparent since I was elected uh, five years ago. Um, prior to me being here, we did not um, stream our, our our hearings, our committee hearings. Um, and we've gone through now, we do live stream those hearings. We also keep those on the website for people to do to, to make sure they can see that. So we've been more open um, in that process. I know in the article it mentioned that um, the Senate office also is, does give out. It's not like we shut everything down. We do give out expense report records and things like that. So um, um, I know that the House has been streaming their meetings longer than the, than the Senate did. Um, the House was a very good leader in that issue because I think that's important that people understand and know where these where these decisions come from. It looks like we've got a sponsor in the House and a sponsor in the Senate <laughs> we're, for we're the next good. session I didn't say for <laughs> even
2: uh, uh, better access. Uh, and I will tell you this: I mean, I, I as you know, I came here from Ohio, and and I and I think Georgia has better open records laws than, than a lot of states, and that. Uh, but I I never accept that reasoning about uh constituent letters and that sort of thing governor ted strickland of ohio when i when i worked there would make that argument as well and and those kind of things could could be exempted it's just that people kind of land there because uh, i think they, they that scares average people that their letters
0: do you think it's uh, a reasonable discussion that the negotiation documents should not be public
2: I you know when the uh, when uh, w- the current law was revised in twenty twelve and and Sam Owens was the attorney general that was a hot topic right because um, and and I think the way that exemption turned out while not ideal is that once the negotiations over those those things are available rather than during because of how it might complicate those negotiations um, I, I always am suspicious of. Any ex, uh, exemption, but if it's thoughtful, then fine.
0: I um, I like to be the, the worker bee in the political process where I show up with the documents. I always find an advantage to me if I write the documents and show up with the documents. She
2: who controls the first draft controls history. That's what you're saying. Uh,
0: that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It's helped me in all the disadvantages I face in public if I do come with a draft. And I'm sort of thinking about my own personal process of, of political negotiation. It's about drafting things, and if all of that is public during the process, of course that's problematical. But even afterwards, um, I will be taking positions in a negotiation posture that are not my positions.
1: Mm-hmm. And look, we we I, I did an open records request for Governor Kemp's emails the other day, and I found a draft of talking points he had to delivered to the to the Atlanta Rotary. Um, I was at that event with with the boss over there, um, with Kevin, and he at the, for the first time he expressed a concern about the airport takeover bill that was such a big debate. He had stayed neutral in that he hadn't had any public comments so it was news when it at that event he uh, made remarks for the first time sort of critical of of that bill but in his draft prepared remarks he went way beyond that and said he was outright an opponent he's glad it didn't pass so on and so forth so i did an article about it and i got some pushback um from some of Kemp's allies saying hey it's just a draft and i said well sometimes it is just a draft but other times when it's a prepared speech even if he doesn't say it if it makes news that's when we have to kind of step in.
0: Some of this thinking is, is my experience as a lawyer. What is, is my strategy as a lawyer uh, revealed to the other side? That's a problem for me. What is my work ethic? What is my work process? What is my strategy? And to what extent is it helpful for me to be able to talk to myself <laughs> privately and with other colleagues?
1: I think we do have a a breakthrough there. We have two sponsors for this bill next year. Uh, But uh, we'll have to leave it there. Um, That will do it for today's Political Rewind. I'd like to thank our guests, Kevin Riley, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, State Senator P.K. Martin, and thank you for listening. Remember, if you missed any part of the show or if you liked it so much that you want to listen to it again and again and again, you can find it on gpbnews.org or wherever you get your podcast. We'll talk to you again tomorrow at two.